Sage is fighting the fight. He has fought cities. He has fought counties. Politicians. Naysayers. Hell, he's even fought mayors. Thank you for listening to Sage and the Houseless Movement, a weekly show dedicated to the news and views of the homeless locally and worldwide. And all other things considered homeless? Yes. Broadcasting live from your Alexa device, the Radio Free Network app, iOS, WMBU.org, Many Voices United, and the RadioFreeNetwork.com. And now, from some wooded area in Akron, Ohio, here is Sage of the Rage Lewis. Yo, what's up? It's Sage again. They just keep letting me show up here and broadcast my pirate signal out to all of you. That's It just blows my mind. Um, it really, truly does. That... <laughs> They let me keep talking. And you know what? If they're going to let me keep talking, I'm just going to keep talking. I'm so glad uh, you are here. And I am truly thankful for uh, the Radio Free Entertainment and WMVU.org. Many united voice. Yet yeah, many voices united. Come on, Sage, you can do better than that. Let's try it again. The Radio Free Entertainment and WMVU.org. Many voices united. Getting the word out about homelessness. Um, you know, I would say homelessness, as far as social issues goes, is probably my, well, is, I mean, it's the issue I know the best. It's not even probably. Uh, it is the issue that I, that I know the best. But what I think people might not realize and sometimes i've gotten in i've 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 shocked some of my typically white friends when i stand up uh, very hard for black lives matter um i would also absolutely uh go to the mat for uh uh lgbtqia uh elderly people women like so for me homelessness is a symptom of an entire truly global system that um pushes down oppresses murders um and has its way with anybody that is not powerful and I feel like this is probably the human way. I mean, it's probably the way of biology, quite honestly, you know, I mean, survival of the fittest and uh, natural selection, right? Uh, the uh, nature, I guess, is always testing to see who should be kicked out of the club of the living. <laughs> you only have to watch a few nature specials where you see some sort of like hardcore predator, like a, you know, some sort of cat or a pack of dogs eyeing up some old wildebeest or young gazelle, you know, it's, it's what you do as I think any living creature, I would suppose plants probably do it right. I don't know anything about plants, but I imagine somebody in the plant world would be like, yeah, man. Well, I mean, you know, there are plants that just take over. Like I was on Reddit and they were talking about this guy was talking about putting up a building a fence out of by 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 planting bamboo. And everybody was like, don't do it, man. Don't put up the bamboo. It'll just take over and it roots in super hard. You'll hate it. You'll hate your life. Um <laughs> And, uh, you know, there's ground cover plants that do that. So, uh, 
I would suppose you wouldn't be wrong to say that it is natural to cull the herd, as they say, cull, culling the herd. What does cull mean? What does call the herd mean? I mean, I know what it means to reduce or control the size of something such as a herd by removal as by hunting and slaughter of especially weak or sick individuals. We call the deer population. Uh, One time I, I went down to Mammoth Caves and they don't do that with their deer. And I'm telling you, those were some ratty looking deer down there. <laughs> there were too many of them. Too many deer. The weak and sick. Removing by hunting and slaughtering the weak and sick. So there you go. I mean, I don't think we are being particularly irrational when we um, send out propaganda that homeless people are drug-addicted losers. It's a pretty powerful brand. And the people begging for money on the side of the street are uh, just manipulating you they're getting into BMWs and Cadillacs, and uh, that's what they say, you know. That's what they say about all those people, and we have a propensity to believe it. You know, who have who here has actually done that? I mean, have you literally have you seen somebody get into a Cadillac? or a BMW after um, panhandling on the street. I would say it's quite possible. Um, I, I, I have a pretty nice truck. You know, I have the extended quad cab, Ford F-150 Lariat. It's pretty gorgeous. And um, I pick up homeless people off of the side of the street all the time. So if people didn't know what was going on, they'd be like, look, look at that. Look at that panhandler just getting into that huge, big, fancy pickup truck. So, you know, there there was another homeless guy that was wearing some boots that another person noticed that some brand I'd never heard of, but apparently they're multi-hundred dollar boots. The homeless guy didn't know it. I didn't know it. But the guy who, you know, saw the boots are like, oh, look, homeless guy's got, you know, those boots, which I guess super awesome boots. I'm pretty sure I gave those boots to him because somebody gave them to me. (laughs) I don't know what kind of boots they are. They're boots. They're for feet. You put them on your feet. But I'm glad that he has nice boots. Like, sure, you didn't buy them. So I don't know. I don't know what people think. And um, could you make some, could you get, could you make a living panhandling? Possibly. Have you ever tried panhandling? If you're really, um, if you really hate panhandlers so much and you want to prove a point, go out there. Go stand on a street corner with a sign and see how much money you make. Give yourself four hours. I bet you, honestly, actually, I bet you'll make no money. That's <laughs> how much money I make. I can't, I can't make money paying hell. I've tried. I've tried. But at Christmas time, I mean, I've I've heard of people giving out $20 bills, $50 bills, people making a hundred dollars, getting, getting uh, presents, but you know, what are they making hourly? Are they making better money than somebody else working a job? Not likely, not likely. So 
So I don't know that you can actually be too angry at people that hate homeless people. I mean, I am, of course, but I'm just an angry human. So, but because I think it's very natural, right? It's very natural to look at a weak person, an old person, a sick person, and being like, uh, sorry, man, might be your time to go. I mean, aren't we doing that kind of in, a, in, in our newest plans with Corona, with COVID-19? We're going to, uh, what are we doing now? We're just going to let the, the virus just spread through. Get herd immunity, herd immunity. You know who's going to get uh, uh, <laughs> the short end of that stick? Old people, sick people, minorities. So, I mean, isn't this just natural? that we let nature run its course and uh, you know, let the weak die off so that the strong can get stronger. All right. So I, I don't, I don't think that that is a particularly controversial stance at least from the perspective of nature <laughs> right i don't think you could talk to any lion out there that would be like no dude you really should be saving those those old people man you know <laughs> i mean bears eat their young don't they let me see do bears eat their young there we go. Yeah. I, I wish you wouldn't talk to me. You're not hearing this. Okay. Okay. Here it is. Yep. Yes. Okay. Oh, geez. Okay. Here you go. This might sound cold to us. This is from nationalgeographic.com. Might sound cold to us humans, you weak humans, but they're simple. And they have to do with resources. Indeed, mother bears, felines, canine, who, what's a canid? A can, a canid, canid, primates, and many species of rodents from rats to prairie dogs have all been seen killing and eating their young. And one of her cubs dies, she'll eat it right up. Eat it right up. Okay. Here's the weak seven animals that eat their own kind, sand tigers, polar bears, spiders, hamsters, parasitic wasps, chickens, and tiger salamanders. So, I mean, really, if we're going to go all natural selection, I mean, come on, why don't we start eating our young? I mean, why don't you just start throwing them in trash cans? And really, don't you think we should then, you know, come on, let's start murdering more fetuses. There's nothing younger and weaker than a fetus, right? Okay. So, I mean, it's not hard to extend the philosophy to both sides of the age spectrum. I mean, I think people used to do that, right? Um, a baby with disabilities, just leave it out by the tree. Let me see. Where did the saying over the hill come from? Let me see if I remember this. The saying dates back to the 1900s in England. It was once commonly believed that um, 
during the first 40 years of life, you climbed up a hill. And once you reached the top, you were over the hill and woeful and the woeful descent began. That's what they uh, say. Okay. Um, okay. So the expression is used to convey that someone has passed their prime is old beyond usefulness is no longer able to perform the way they used to. While it used to be in jovial, while it is used in a jovial but taunting manner for well-wishers at a party for someone turning a milestone age, it is not considered good form to seriously refer to someone as over the hill. Because, you know, you're past your prime. You're beyond usefulness. So can you see how... If you're going to accept the theory of natural selection, okay, and let me make sure I understand that. What is natural selection? All right. Uh, easy definition is the process through which populations of living organisms adapt and change. Individuals in a population are naturally viable, meaning that they are different in some ways. They're all different. This variation means that some individuals have traits better suited for the environment than others. Okay. So the environment here is the United States of America, where we go it alone where capitalism reigns supreme. And if you can't hang with that, maybe you got to, you know, step down. Get yourself off of the, this rock we call earth. And don't you think that that's kind of uh, the conservative approach saying, you know, it's not the government's job to, feed and clothe and educate our people. It's the people's job. So I don't see, but of course, when you become one of the needy, when your child turns out to be gay or homeless, it's awfully convenient Sometimes you have a change of heart, you know, that when you become over the hill or injured or maimed or uh, just have a disability, all of a sudden, these issues become a little more personal. And suddenly you start saying stuff, well, what about me? What about me? But when you were healthy and wealthy and wise and viable age, you're kind of like, screw them. Screw old people. Screw sick people. So ultimately, homelessness becomes a beacon, a symbol of who we're going to be as a society, okay? Who are we going to be? And if you're going to say, well, we should take care of fetuses, then... Where does that stop? At what point, if a person is not hurting another person, or the fact of the matter is, even if they are hurting another person, what right do we have to end their life or to passively euthanize them? You know? I mean, clearly we support the death penalty. So we are saying that there are people that do not deserve to live. So 
I don't quite see how we can pick and choose which people deserve, which people that without our support would die deserve our protection and other people that would die without our support don't deserve our protection. You understand what I'm saying? If a fetus who cannot live on its own without its mother deserves our protection, how can you say a person that is homeless does not deserve our protection? Isn't a home the same thing as a womb? If a fetus can't survive unless it's living in a womb and a homeless person can't survive unless it's living in shelter, can't we make the logical connection that if you're going to support the fetus, you must therefore support the homeless person? And really, a homeless person is asking for a lot less than a fetus. A fetus is requiring a host, a mother. And our laws are saying that that mother is obligated to carry it. It would be like saying if a person is homeless in your city, the city is obligated to shelter it. I mean, is anybody even daring say such a thing? But a homeless person, especially in incredibly hot climates or incredibly cold climates, cannot survive without shelter. Just as a fetus can't survive without shelter. And so it would seem to me that you are not being... Equally caring if you say, well, a fetus deserves a womb, but a homeless person is on their own. They need to figure it out themselves. I mean... Is a baby kangaroo called a joey? Yeah, it is, right? It's a, okay, so look. A baby kangaroo is called a joey, is born at a very immature stage when it's only about two centimeters long and weighs less than a gram. Immediately after birth, it crawls up the mother's body it crawls up the mother's body and enters the pouch and the baby attaches its mouth to one of four teats, which then enlarges to hold the young animal in place. Okay. That little two centimeter Joey takes care of itself, climbs up its mother's body and goes into its little shelter. Okay, I don't see why we shouldn't do that to fetuses. Pull it out and see if it finds a tent. See if it finds a little place to live. What's the difference? What's the difference between a fetus having to find shelter to live and a homeless person having to find shelter to live? What's the difference? Well, I suppose now you're going to say, well, 
What about personal responsibility, Sage? The Joey took personal responsibility, climbed up the the body. It's not too much to ask a baby kangaroo. I don't see why it's too much to ask a fetus. Because if you're not going to demand the fetus take care of itself, then I don't see how you can demand a homeless person take care of themselves. When they can't afford shelter, they housing is housing too expensive in America. Okay. Uh, so let me give you this. Let me give you this. Here's something from MASH Advisor. Uh, it says, why are houses so expensive in the U.S.? It's no surprise that U.S. housing prices has only gone up in the past decade since 2018. Prices have increased by 7%. This is a 2019 article. Um, let's see. Land used to be cheaper in the U.S. Um, uh, this isn't a good article. This really, okay. Hold on. Let me do something better. Affordable housing statistics in America. Get your better article. Here we go. Here's Habitat for Humanity. 2019 State of the Nation's Housing Report. Lack of affordable housing. Harvard University's Joint Center for Housing Studies released the 2019 State of the Nation's Housing Report. For those of us who work on home affordability, this report's a keystone document. Provides enormously valuable data that guides our work. All right. Number one, there's five of the report's findings stand out as particularly relevant to Habitat for Humanity. One, too many people are paying too much of their income on housing. As Habitat, we know that no one should pay more than 30% of their income on housing. You are considered cost burdened by housing if you do so. Shows that nearly 38 million households nationwide, 31.5% of all households, are spending more than 30% of their income on housing. That's 20.5 million renters and 17.3 million homeowners. This is just a slight half percentage point drop from the previous year. Homeowners saw nearly all the modest improvements, while uh, a near record share of renters 47.4%, almost half, face unaffordable rents. More than 18 million households, that's one in six, are paying more than half of their income on houses and are considered severely cost burden. That's half of their income. The largest share of households include 9.5 million renters who earn less than $30,000 a year and 5.4 million homeowners earning less than $30,000 dollars a year. Um, number two, low-income families with how high housing costs are making severe sacrifices. Cost burden renters and homeowners in the bottom income quartile spend significantly less on food, health care, transportation, and retirement savings than other families in their income bracket whose housing is affordable. Families in the income bracket with severe housing cost burdens are making even more dramatic sacrifices, such as cutting back on health care by 70%. Uh, we're building too few new homes, including too few starter homes um, and a tiny number of modestly priced apartments. We are losing a staggering amount of low-cost rental homes. Um, the lack of white, black, white home ownership gap continues to grow over the past two years, even as owner, home ownership rights inch up this, um, all of these things, the, uh, African-Americans in particular are a share of the brunt of this at a uh, disproportionate rates of their population percentage of America. Um, so let's see here. What else? So um, what the point of this is, is that these metrics 
shake out to increase homelessness. Okay. All right. People on disability or social security are making $750 a month. Okay. Well, seven, let's call it 783. I think it is 783 times 12. That's $9,396. That's how much money you make on uh, social security. $9,396. All right. So let's take 10,000. 10,000 divided by 30%. Let's see if that does it right. Uh, No, sorry. 30% of 10,000. That's 3,000 divided by 12. Okay. They should be, if a person is living on disability, meaning the government has determined they are unable to work, there should be a place they could rent for $250 a month. You think that's possible? Do you know what a $250 a month apartment looks like in Akron, Ohio? I don't. I've never seen one. But I can tell you what a $300 apartment looks like in Akron, Ohio. Looks like a drug house. <laughs> um. And they're really hard to come by. So what I'm getting at is even if you just took the people that are living on disability, let's just take the people that the government has determined are unable to work and are making about $783 a month. Um, They should be able to find apartments, including utilities, for $250 a month. Okay? So, you tell me how that's going to work. So, I mean, even if you're just a brutally cold-hearted person and you can't imagine that a person can't find a job, okay? They can't get a job, Um You can't imagine that having a felony makes it incredibly difficult to get a job. You can't imagine that not having a home and being able to clean up makes it incredibly difficult to get a job. You can't imagine that, um, you know, you are trapped in an addiction with opiates that your doctor started you on and you are now spending every dollar you can possibly find to uh, take the pain away, not even to get high, just to take the pain away of the addiction. If you can't even imagine that, let's just play with the people that are on disability, okay? A mental or physical disability, I've known people that have gone to training um, areas and have been sent back and been told that they are untrainable, okay, typically with a mental disability. They are untrainable for any job, okay? So let's just take them. Let's say they're, you know, they're making their nine, whatever I said, 983, I think it's 783, I'm sorry, 783 a month. Um, and, uh, maybe they even have a hundred dollars in food steps. Let's say they get, let's say they get a thousand dollars a month. Let's just say it. Okay. So now we're at $12,000. Okay. Um, don't we have an obligation as a society to make sure they have a place they can live? Don't you, if you feel that we have an obligation to save a fetus, don't we therefore have an obligation to make sure people living on, say, $1,000 a month have a place to live? What's the difference? Apparently, you would say that a fetus... Uh, deserves our protection. 
What makes a disabled person not deserve our protection? Just because you don't have the mom has to pay to, uh, you know, you don't have to, you don't, the, the fetus is living in a womb that is free rent. You know, the mom, no matter what happened to her, has to carry that fetus in its, in her womb, which is an apartment, little, you know, shared room has to feed it. Okay. It's convenient that people that love fetuses don't have to feed or house fetuses, but it turns out people on disability need shelter and housing. Okay. I don't see, I don't see the logic of how a fetus deserves to live, but a person on disability does not deserve to live. Or maybe you would say, well, they deserve to live, but we don't, we aren't obligated to shelter them. But you obviously are saying a mom is obligated to shelter a fetus. That's what you're saying. So you can't use that logic. You can't use the logic that we're not obligated to shelter and feed a person, the disabled person, when uh, we shelter and feed a fetus. The logic doesn't. Compute. It only computes when you have disdain, you have love for a fetus, and you condemn a disabled person. That's all. Or you condemn a person who's addicted to drugs. Let's spend a minute talking about addiction, okay? What is the definition of addiction? Okay, the factor condition of being addicted to a particular substance thing or activity, not helpful, not helpful, okay? Um, okay, here is ASAM, the American Society of Addiction Medicine, okay? Addiction is a treatable chronic medical disease. Seemed to me that could, uh, you know... The disease involving complex interactions among brain circuits, genetics, the environment, and an individual's life experiences. People with addiction use substances or engage in behaviors that become compulsive and often continue despite harmful consequences. Then it says, um, Prevention efforts and treatment approaches for addiction are generally as successful as those for other chronic diseases. Okay. So what you need, I want to go backwards through that definition. It continues despite harmful consequences. So what you need to understand is that an addict can know perfectly well that they are suffering, they are ruining their lives, they are in pain and agony, and they continue their addiction. That, to me, is a perfect telltale sign of an addiction where your spouse divorces you, your family leaves you, you get thrown out of your house because you can't afford rent. Everybody just abandons you. Now, as an addict, you're going to say stuff like, well, they weren't my friends anyways. They don't understand me. They're, they suck. All those people suck. Okay. That is the drug or behavior talking, okay? Do you see? You have been possessed by a demon, okay? You have been usurped. You have been 
um, invaded by an evildoer, by someone who a disease like a virus. Okay. If you get the flu or a cold or coronavirus, COVID-19, you are going to feel bad. Okay. But there's nothing you can do about it other than try to wait it out and get treatment. Right. You know, if you get a sinus infection, you get treatment. If you have a virus, you, you know, I don't know, chicken soup and rest. Uh, you can try some echinacea, I hear. You can, you know, try some airborne or, um, you know, some sort of like uh, one of those lozenges that has zinc in it, you know. You can try treating it. And chances are you're going to get better. If you rest and stay hydrated, you're going to get better faster than if you don't rest and don't stay hydrated or whatever. You know, it's going to take you longer to get over it. But there's nothing you can do about it. If you believe that an addiction to a substance or a behavior, is like picking up and putting down a uh, book or changing your clothes, you don't have the first inkling of what an addiction is. You don't even deserve to enter into the conversation. Okay? I've had church ladies, literally church ladies, tell me that they need to put down the needle and get a job. And man, oh man, lady. Wow. Just wow. That's the mouth that you say prayers out of. That's the brain that you think loves God. (laughs) You are ignorant and hateful, and judgmental. Because you don't understand what an addiction is. If you think an addiction is something you can just pick up or put down, you are ignorant. That something you pick up or put down is like when you have a piece of cake on your birthday. Or you have turkey on Thanksgiving. Okay, let's take turkey. All right. Turkey is something most people don't just love. I mean, maybe, you know, they have some turkey sandwiches. I'm eating turkey sandwiches for lunch right now. Lovely, lovely. But I don't typically buy a turkey, right? I buy a turkey one time a year on Thanksgiving. See? Now, is that an addiction? It actually depends. (laughs) Let's say my one time a year turkey habit. Um, let's say, let's say I'm allergic to turkey. I don't know if that's a thing. Let's just say we are. I am. And I have to have turkey once a year. And every year I have to bring an EpiPen to the party and uh, have 911 on speed dial because when I start mowing that turkey, I'm going to blow up like a blimp. My esophagus is going to slowly shut down and I'm going to jam turkey into my pie hole, my turkey hole, until I pass out from near asphyxiation. And then my wife is going to jam three EpiPens into me. So before I die, okay, that is an addiction to Turkey. Okay. If I can't put down the Turkey fork, even though I know Turkey is going to kill me, I have an addiction to Turkey. I should seek help. 
Okay. But I don't. Thank God. Just last night, we're not going to celebrate Thanksgiving as a family in person this year. We're going to like just all sit at our homes and dial in on Zoom or something. Fine with me. I mean, I enjoy, I, I mean, I love my family. I don't mean it like that or anything, whatever. It's great. I'll just sit at home. But I said to my wife, I'm like, hey, are we still going to have Thanksgiving? And she's like, well, I think we better, you know, it's me and my son and her. I think we better. So I'm like, well, you want to get like a ham or something? She's like, ham? I'm like, yeah, yeah. One of those. I like those honey baked hams. Those are yummy. It's like, it's Thanksgiving. Who eats ham on Thanksgiving? And I'm like, oh yeah, good point. All right, let's get a turkey. All right. So, I mean, that sort of borders on turkey addiction, but not really because I don't really care either way. I mean, quite honestly, honey baked ham is good, but have you priced it? I, well, I bought one last year. It was like $75 for a 14 pound piece of ham, which honestly, I believe all ham should be that price because pigs are super smart and we should not be eating pigs. They're so tasty. Oh my gosh. Anyways. Um, but I still contend I do not have a turkey addiction because I don't care. I don't, and I don't, I certainly don't have a ham addiction. Um, so, you know, I'm going, we're going to get a turkey like the most of America. We're going to eat it that one time. We're going to have leftovers the next few days. We're going to be sick of turkey and we're never going to eat it again until next year. Okay. That's just a behavior. That's not an addiction to turkey. Do you, can you see the difference? Me jamming as much turkey down my face before I die of asphyxiation as my esophagus slowly cuts off air with my airway is a turkey addiction. And it doesn't matter how many times I eat turkey, even if it's only one time a year, I have an addiction to turkey. It's, I have an unhealthy addiction to turkey, and if I literally can't stop eating turkey, I need to go see somebody because that's not healthy, okay? That's not healthy. I might die eating turkey. That's what an addiction to drugs is or an addiction to gambling is or an addiction to sex is or an addiction to video games is okay it is ruining your life and you do it anyways you can't stop do you see i can stop eating turkey and in fact I don't even really have to even eat turkey on Thanksgiving. I mean, I'm gonna, because actually it's on sale and I haven't had turkey all year. And I just got, I think I might go get some gravy. I saw, I was in the gravy aisle last night at the grocery store. I, I've never in the gravy aisle. And I'm like, look at all that gravy. Might buy some gravy this year, you know, because turkey can use some gravy. So, you know, but it's going to, it's going to be nice. And I'm looking forward to it now. I mean, it's October 22nd. It's not, you know, I got to wait a whole month, but you know what? I'm going to do it. I can wait a whole month for Turkey, even though now I'm getting ready. See, also not an addiction. I'm, I'm kind of hankering a Turkey right now, but that's because I'm hungry. I don't have to go have Turkey. Although now I'm probably going to go have a Turkey sandwich because I have Turkey sitting in the refrigerator. I need to eat it. And, and it's not like a Turkey breast. Anyways, that's a whole different thing. Quite frankly, I do not have an addiction to Turkey. Okay. When I was an alcoholic or whatever you want, I guess we're not calling ourselves alcoholics anymore. I don't care. Um, at the end I started calling off work because I was hung over. You see how that's an addiction. There were times where I would come home and take a nap at lunch because I was hung over. I got a DUI because I was driving 
drunk. That I and I kept drinking. It's like. And not only that, but I kept drinking like like let's say I called in sick because I was hung over because I go out. Let's say I, w- I would think I was going out on Wednesdays at, at that point in my life. Right. I was staying out until the bars closed two two thirty, whatever. And, you know, I'd probably go to Denny's or I don't know. I'd stay out all night. And so not only was I underslept, I was totally hung over and I would start calling off sick a few times. So. What was my solution to that? Well, let me tell you. Starting drinking earlier, so I go to bed earlier. Um, drinking more water before bed. Taking some Advil before bed. I think vitamin B maybe was coming around that, at that point. Drinking Gator, Gatorade before bed. But I'll tell you what was not an option. Stopping drinking on Wednesdays. Do you see? Do you see how that's an addiction? Yeah. I knew it was bad to skip work when I was, you know, because I was hung over. But the answer was not to quit drinking on Wednesdays. There were endless other solutions that I was going to try. I think even I started, I, I started drinking, switching to vodka because I heard vodka was, uh, you know, I was drinking beer and they were like, well, you know, dude, beer, you know, you get really hung over. Maybe you should switch to a clear <laughs> liquor. So then I started vo- vodka, you know, that's what an addict does. A person who is not addicted, okay, goes out on a Wednesday night, wakes up hungover, calls off sick, okay, and then says, I will never do that again. And they don't. Now, an alcoholic will say they'll never do it again, and then they'll totally do it again. That's how you also know that you're an addict, okay? That you're like, I'm never drinking again. Do you know how many times I said I'm never drinking again? Like pretty much every time. Uh, And then it was just a matter of how soon I was going to drink. Um, You know. Uh, So it becomes easy, especially from the outside, to see addictive activities, behaviors. Um, You, as as the person who is addicted... Sometimes you don't see it. (laughs) You know why? Because you're sick. You're possessed by a disease. And the disease wants to survive. All right. So I come back to this whole thing. Because. People really hate. Addicts. I believe this is fundamentally why we don't do more for homeless people is because we judge addicts and we judge addicts because we don't understand addicts. Okay. And so then you're like, well, you know, if you'd quit doing drugs, you might get a job. And if you got a job, you might be able to afford a place to live. Okay. That to somebody who doesn't understand addiction. Um, makes complete sense. But if you can have even the most basic understanding of addiction, you will come to realize that that's not how the game goes. Okay. And in fact, my friend Ashley Hughes, who I believe will become, has a high likelihood of becoming a a, um, significant thought leader in homeless uh, treatment. 
Homelessness becomes an addiction, okay? Homelessness becomes a disease. It is not a choice, okay? It needs treatment, and throwing someone in a house is not treating homelessness. It is quite likely that a person will fall out of their house and become homeless again without proper homeless treatment. Okay. You can certainly become an addict without becoming homeless. So then you treat the addiction, right? But addiction for a homeless person is a symptom of homelessness. Um, A very wise homeless woman once told me that you addiction does not make you homeless, but it will keep you homeless. And I thought that was very profound. So, but my friend Ashley, to treat homelessness, her belief is that step one is to create a community and step two is to create meaningful work. And only then can you even begin to consider treating the addiction, which again is just a symptom of homelessness. All right. And homelessness, the number one cause of homelessness is um, I, I, a, a lack of a support group, primarily a, fi- a family, you know, um, a catastrophic loss of family. That's why you become homeless. Not because you ran out of money, not because you're an addict. It's because you're, you don't have a family or your family has, um, for their own safety or just because they've had it, have left you. And then you're in free fall. Because in America, there is no system to pick up a homeless person. There's only judgment and disdain. And so, um, homelessness becomes a disease, becomes its own kind of condition that needs treatment, holistic treatment. And at, like I said, Ashley's belief is that it starts with community, step one, and then step two become, comes to, to uh, meaningful work, which creates dignity and re, re, um, returns your humanity. Work returns your, your humanity, you know? So, um, very, very interesting, um, ideas she has. And so what I'm getting at is if you can realize that addiction is not a choice, that ultimately homeless is not a homelessness is not a choice. It is a condition which like, let, let me read this addiction definition again. Addiction is a treatable, chronical medical disease involving complex interactions among brain circuits, genetics, environment, and the individual's life experiences. That sounds a lot like homelessness to me, that homelessness could become an, its own kind of addiction. You know, I think we oftentimes believe that addiction is like a guilty pleasure, you know, like, Oh, I'm addicted to this. I'm addicted to that. It's not, it's, um, it, it, the pleasure goes away. You're trying to get the pleasure, but it's gone. And so if you realize that addiction is not a choice, but it is a disease of which you need treated, then you realize that from fetuses, if that's your thing, all the way until death, we have a moral responsibility to shelter and feed people that need it. That's it. I don't see how you can possibly say that a fetus deserves it And a disabled homeless person who oftentimes is a veteran doesn't deserve it. All right, everybody. Yet another thrilling episode of whatever this show is called. 
<laughs> the homeless show. I don't know what it's called, but uh, once again, thank you. Uh, Radio free entertainment. Thank you. WMVU many voices United. I truly appreciate it. And I will see you next week. Thank you for listening to Sage and the Houseless Movement, a weekly show dedicated to the news and views of the homeless locally and worldwide.